Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now What's going on, everybody? What's up, folks? We are back again. Back in the saddle. This is episode 97. We are going to finish off our two-part series on the FBI Miami shootout that took place in 1986. The FBI. Between the FBI and William Maddox and Michael Lee Platt. Um, but this before we do that... Vice shootout. Yeah. Before we do that, though, Kevin is going to talk about some headphones. Some studio headphones, you know. Yeah, I've been t- saying it right along. Go check them out over at studio.com. Check out their headphones, earbuds, and their brand new speaker. Yeah, the they got what Femtio you- is fantastic. Yes, they got what you want. I'm it, pretty sure they do. It is dark windows approved. It is. And, uh, go check them out. Find what you want. Put it in your basket. Go to checkout. Put the promo code of darkwindows15 in. Get 15% off your entire purchase. Yeah. Okay. So, last week, we talked about our two bad guys, who at the time didn't seem like such bad guys. <laughs> I still don't know how they're going to be bad guys, um, personally. So, so, we got into the background on them, um, their military history, uh, their business partnership with uh, Yankee Clipper, the mowing uh-huh. service, um, and we left off where they had allegedly threatened to kill a guy over 10 grand worth of vending machines allegedly 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 in air quotes yeah it was he said she said type of thing to me it seems like three scumbags that had a disagreement and they didn't know how to figure it out well i'm not saying that two of them are scumbags on this point oh we'll fix that one of them well okay two of them are possible scumbags because one of them possibly killed his wife. Yeah, they're they're all scumbags though. <laughs> well, listen, at this point in time in the story, I only view two of them as the asshole that backed out of the deal for the stuff, vending machines, and then the one that possibly killed his wife. That that would be a uh, Michael Platt. Yeah, Platt. But so, the other one is the other one he's still got a little bit of a halo. Yeah. <laughs> so I like I love like, that. <sighs> nah. Well, listen. I got you know. I still have the, the him, him on a pedestal a little bit at this point. I'm gonna knock him off. <laughs> <laughs> Your pitch better be good. So, like, like I mentioned last week, 
this was going to lead to a series of bank and armored car robberies. And I couldn't really find any reasoning for this other than... Fuck it. Let's they do want it. money, you know? So let's get... Let's fucking get right into the fun stuff then. Wow, yeah. October 10th, 1985, at around 12.25 p.m., Platt and Maddox, they said it's possible that there was a third man in the car... You know, witness reports kind of varied between just the two of them or having a third guy in there somewhere. That's witnesses for you. Yeah. And I mean, if it had been a third guy, it was most likely another employee of the company. Okay. That worked for Platt and right. Maddox. Yeah. Well, so, what, was it Platt? He worked for both. Would have worked for both of them, right? Because they're, they're a part. Yeah, uh, Ma- yeah. Maddox bought into it after yeah. he started working for Platt. Yep. They pulled into the parking lot of uh, a Winn-Dixie supermarket, which... This location is still there, but it's actually a Whole Foods now. And they sat there just waiting, sitting in the car. Always they'd, wanted to shop at a Winn-Dixie. They'd been casing this location for a few weeks, and they learned the routine. They knew that around 1230 or so, a Wells Fargo truck was going to pull in to mm-hmm. make a collection from them. Yep. Like clockwork, 1230, Wells Fargo truck rolls up to the front, guy gets out. Um, one of the two men, I'm judging on what we're going to learn as we go through this. I'm going to say this is probably Michael Platt stepped out of the 1979 Monte Carlo that they were driving with a 12 gauge shotgun in hand. He ordered the guard to freeze, but at the same time as saying, Hey, don't move. He pulled the trigger and shot this guard with a load of fucking buckshot. No, could, I wonder if it had been an a, was an accident. Like he, he was just so tensed up and everything that he kind of got a little, um, little trigger happy or whatever. Just kind of, you know, he he was just tensed up and pulled the trigger. I don't know. I think he's just an asshole. To be honest with you. Okay. It it wasn't uh, wasn't any serious wounds to the guard. Obviously, he'd just been shot with a fucking shotgun. So he. Well, they went- also have have uh, vests on too right but still i mean I think but like, even the kinetic energy of getting oh like yeah, that, yeah you're yeah. not gonna you're it's gonna not feel good um, oh yeah because i mean still gonna you know knock you over probably guessing so, I, I would imagine um but whoever whichever, whichever one of the two was in the car as soon as the guard went down pulled a handgun and started firing at the truck at the other guy in the in the armored truck which obviously isn't going to have any effect because it's going to bounce the fuck off. Yeah, it's going to mushroom against the window most likely, and you're not yeah. going to do anything. So, with all of this going on and shit getting a little hot in a very, very public place uh-huh. outside of a busy grocery store, uh-huh. they loaded back into the car and took off with no money. Did you know? Funny, silly fact. Did you talk about that? It's actually not bulletproof glass. It's bullet resistant. Bullet resistant. Yeah. Because actually, if you shoot enough. We talked about that with. Um, it will fucking go through it. We talked about that, that with uh, North Hollywood. True. Where they were like, oh, no, the glass is bulletproof until the fucking you know, human Coke machine with an AK-47 comes in there and shoots <laughs> it off the hinges. Yeah. You're like, not so bulletproof now, is it? <laughs> There's no such thing as bulletproof. There is bullet resistant. Yes. November 8th, 1985. At noon, Platt and Maddox enter the Professional Savings Bank at 13 
100 South Dixie Highway with a shotgun and a Mini-14, and each of them was carrying a pistol. They ordered everyone down and demanded the teller give them the Wells Fargo bags that had been delivered earlier that day. Again, they had scoped this place out pretty tightly, and they knew if we go on in this, you know, this day, uh-huh. at this time, the money has just been delivered. They're, they're, they're really smart. Like they're, yeah, that's smart. Yeah. I'm almost as smart. Well, I'm, yeah, as smart. Well, I'm trying to say if it's as smart or about as smart. As the people that robbed the um, the the truck here in our neck of the woods, uh, the the one the one in Rutland was a little bit craftier than this because that truck's still in town. I guarantee it. Well, the truck hasn't gone. The truck never went anywhere. They just robbed it. They took all the fucking money. Yeah, because the guys that robbed it were the ones that worked there. <laughs> I don't know, man. There's a lot of speculation on that, but it's. That's like the leading thing that I've heard people talking about is. But now the money's not out of it's out of circulation now. Doesn't matter. So wouldn't matter if it's already fucking spent anyway. You put it into a bank account, it never goes out of circulation there. Uh, actually, technically, it does because it that money is technically not in your bank account. It goes to a federal service, which actually, after so whatever long, actually takes it out of circulation. The feds actually take it out. Right. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is you can't really worry about that if it's already been spent. You know, I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't put it into a bank account because if you go to try to put that in, I mean, if you, unless you did like small amounts each time. Overseas. True. Overseas. But I bet you they just stood on it. I don't know. Anyway. It's probably we're, buried we're, in somebody's fucking backyard down the forest park. Could be. I don't know. <laughs> or it's not even around here. No. So... They, they knew that the delivery had come in between 11 and 11.30. Yep. They couldn't quite pinpoint it because it was sometimes 11.15, sometimes 11.30. But they knew if they got there between 11 and 11.30, there was going to be money. So probably just because of traffic. Right. Exactly. And armored cars usually keep a pretty tight schedule. Yeah, they have like to. Like, if they're going to be here at this time, they're usually here at this time. Yeah, they, because they have to with the banks. Right. And, they, and if they show up early, they have to sit there and wait. Mm-hmm. Until the appointed time to go in. Yeah. But if they get there late, a couple of minutes, you know, due to traffic or whatever, and then it is what it is. So they left this bank with three Wells Fargo bags and a total of $41,469. They tore out of this parking lot in the same gold Monte Carlo that they'd used to rob the Wells Fargo truck at the grocery store. Hmm. So here's where shit starts to get... Bad. January 10th of 1986. And you can kind of see the escalation coming as we go. So January 10th of 1986, a Brinks armored car courier opened the back door of the truck at around 1030 a.m. and grabbed a bag to drop off at Barnett Bank, which is now um, Ocean Bank at 13593 South Dixie Highway, which, by the way, was less than a half a mile from the bank that they had robbed in November of 1985. It was, it's, it's, I Google mapped it. It's two tenths of a mile. Makes sense. Like if, if it wasn't around the corner, you could see those two banks from each other. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. So no one, this time, neither man said anything. One of the two, again, I'm guessing Platt, 
fired at the guard, striking him in the back with number seven uh, bird shot out of a 12-gauge shotgun. So, like I said, number seven is super, super common for, like, uh, game birds like partridge, pheasant, yeah. doves, turkeys, shit like that. Make no mistake, it will still kill you. Like, at this range, if he had shot him in the head, he would have died. Yeah. If he had shot him somewhere where he didn't have armor, he probably still could have died. I mean, it's it's not... It's all about the yeah. the pattern at you know being so close. It didn't have time to spread. Right. And actually, to be honest with this one, I think Maddox is the one that shot him. Because after he shot him and the guard went down, another man stepped forward and shot him twice more in the back with a two two three. Witnesses described either an AR fifteen or a mini fourteen. Same fucking rifle. One looks less scary than the other. Okay. It's the same caliber, you know. Okay. Um, but the mini fourteen would make more sense because the mini fourteen was also reported at two other uh-huh. robberies. And Platt was always the one with the Mini-14. So I think Maddox may have shot this guy trying to get him out of the way. Yeah. And Platt would have gone in and just fucking killed him. Okay. He did The man didn't die. The guard did not die. Yeah. But he got shot a bunch. Okay, yeah, because I was going to ask him, like, how would, you know, I was going to ask you actually that question about, you know, why you think that, but, you know, you must have, you know. Oh, I'm, I'm, I covered my tracks. <laughs> yeah, you bastard. So after incapacitating the guard, they got away with somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty-four to fifty-five thousand dollars, and they took off in a nineteen seventy-seven gold Monte Carlo. Same color, different year. Hmm. A witness got a look at the license plate. The plate number was XQU one five seven. This witness actually followed them, like hopped in his car. And followed them Whoa. until they swapped into a white Ford pickup. Once they once they swapped into the other vehicle, the witness is like, fuck this. And just left. Can't say I blame him. You just watched these dudes fucking shoot a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have followed him. Fuck that. I'd have just like written down the plate number and been like, hey, I just saw some <laughs> stuff happen. And this is what the car looked like. And it was headed this way. Have fun. <laughs> oh, by the way, they shot this dude a bunch. Uh-huh. Now, like I said, it's a similar color car, but a different year. Mm. That's because this vehicle was reported missing October 4th of 1985. It belonged to a man by the name of Emilio Briel, who actually ended up going missing at an abandoned rock pit in South Dade County after getting done doing some target shooting by himself. Much later, after everything was said and done, Brielle's bones would be discovered with a fatal two-two-three caliber wound to the back of his head. Uh Uh-huh. I'm not a lawyer. I'm pretty sure I could get that to stick in court. (laughs) Uh, It's circumstantial, but maybe. You've got the guy's car missing. You've got him shot dead. With a weapon that has been linked to now three other bank robberies. Yeah, you know, listen, he could have probably found it on the side of the road. He shot himself in the back of the head with it. Yes. You know, a three and a half foot long rifle. He fucking shot himself in the back of the head. Hey, listen. What did he if, know about if, the Clintons? 
If Kurt Cobain can shoot himself in the head with a shotgun, you know. With his shoes on. With his shoes on. Figure that one out. Anything can happen. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> so, we've got one last bank robbery to cover. Okay. This episode is going pretty quick. We're only like 20 minutes, like not even 20 minutes in. But, bear with me, because the end is a fucking doozy. Okay. We're, you're going to be asking a lot of questions. I'm fairly confident of that. Okay. Just yeah. like, wait, what, wait, wait, what? What the fuck? Who the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to happen. So, March 19th of 1986, at 9.30 a.m., Platt and Maddox entered Barnett Bank. This is the same bank that they robbed um, in January. I'm sorry, the same bank where they robbed the Brinks truck in yeah. January. Yeah. The same fucking bank. Same location. So they're coming back to a place that they hit two months earlier. Well, a little Peter, ballsy. But they knew that they could get money off of this place. Right, but still. I know. You shouldn't hit. You shouldn't. You, you know, don't shit where you eat. You shouldn't hit, hit two at the same time because that kind of makes you, you know, it kind of um, puts you on a radar. Yeah. Quick. So this time they targeted the bank itself instead of a truck. Yep. They went inside with a short-barreled pump-action 12-gauge shotgun, and again, our handy mini-14. Um, this time, they <laughs> they had a fu- they, they pulled in a fucking haul here. They left with eight thousand dollars, eight grand. So they got the, so they got it after it had been after the money had been before, taken before the money had been delivered. This is at 9.30 in the morning, so the bank had just opened. Yeah, which means not much money in the bank. No, so basically what they got was probably what was in the teller's like the teller's drawers and stuff. Yep. And if anybody had access to like like floater money or something like that. You they, know? Prob- they have to have some kind of backstash money. Right, right, right. You know, just in um, case somebody wants to get out X amount before the... Before the safe's open. Yeah. Right, exactly. Well, or not even that, not even before the safe's open, because that's probably what they have in the safe. They probably had, before the uh, the truck arrives, to, you know, deliver more money or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Because they also, not only do they deliver money, they to take money away, yes. because, you know, you have to do that, too. Because you can only want to have only so much on hand. Yeah, because most banks are only insured up to... Whatever the fuck amount through the FDIC. Yeah, last time I knew it was a hundred thousand, but I'm not sure now. Yeah, I don't know what the actual amount is. If you know what the amount is, let us know. Yeah. So this time the pair took off in a black 1982 two-door Monte Carlo. Are you guys noticing anything yet? That they like these two-doors? motherfuckers love Monte Carlos. Oh, like they straight up stole Julian from Trailer Park's boy Trailer Park Boy's car right here. Except his was an 85. Fucking Still. Two-door fucking Monte Carlo. It's a sick car. Mm. Yeah, Monte Carlo's nice. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, if it, well imagine if it was like an SS, too. Yeah. Yeah. Thing will shit and get. Damn right. <laughs> so during the investigation, after everything was said and done again, yep. they found that this 82 Monte Carlo had been stolen March 12th of 1986 at the same location as the 77 Monte Carlo where Emilio Brielle was killed. So they stole the car. They stole this car at the same fucking location that they stole the last car. Hmm. So that when they 
<laughs> when they stole this one, Platt and Maddox both approached the owner. And apparently from what he said, because this man survived, he said neither one of them said a word and they shot him four times. It fucking left him for dead. Wow. They stole his car and they stole two guns. A Smith & Wesson Model 14 uh, 38 caliber and the Marlin, uh, Marlin Model 60 22 rifle. I had one of those when I was a kid. Those are pretty yeah, cool. Those are nice. So the owner of the car survived and gave the police and then the FBI a very, very accurate description of both Platt and Maddox and both guns that were stolen. And after the like the final investigation of everything, uh-huh, uh-huh. when they were searching Platt's, homes, uh, uh-huh. Platt's home, they found both guns. There you go. All right. <laughs> well, that for I mean, that, for that part, yes. I mean, that's like let's let's put it this way. I'm still saying there's a possibility that he, the other guy, uh, Rodrigo or Emilio or whatever his name is, fucking put the goddamn you know AR back know. to his head. He All I'm going to tell you is, in the upcoming little bit here, we're going to run into possibly the baddest motherfucker that is ever made an appearance on this show. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, dude. Uh, I got fucking cold chills reading uh, about this dude. I don't know about that. We've we've covered some bad motherfuckers. Well, after four robberies targeting similar and sometimes the same place, yep. the police kind of decided... I mean, obviously, this is a federal crime because it's yeah. a bank robbery. Yes. They decided, hey, whatever we have, we need to give the FBI. Because this was still at that point in time where you would have had a lot of, um, like, interjurisdictional like, pissing matches because not everything is fully integrated, like, into one system yet where you can look up, like, fucking John Q. Public or whatever and be like, okay, well, this guy well, got no. caught fucking a horse in Oklahoma. Well, and we fuck, can see it here. Because at the time, internet was fucking beep, beep, boop, beep, right. beep, beep, shit. But this, this was Mom, also- hang up the fucking phone! But this <laughs> was also the same time where if the FBI were investigating something and the local police were investigating the same thing, yeah, the police are going to withhold information from the FBI because they want the win. Fuck the feds. We want this because if yep. we get this, we get more funding. Yeah. So with all this shit going on, the police went, okay, fucking cards on the table. Here's what we've found. This is all the information that we have. Yeah. yeah. Witness, like, witness descriptions of, you know, suspects and vehicles, what they were carrying for weapons, when and where they hit, how much money they were assumed to have taken. They fucking just put it all out there. Mm-hmm. With the frequency and close proximity of the activities that were going on, the FBI starts thinking that these robberies are obviously not only connected, but they're going to continue happening. Yeah. Because these guys are basically just making a circuit around town. Yeah. Like we hit here, we're going to hit here, we'll hit here, then we'll go back here, then we'll go over here again. Throw them off so we're not doing a full circle. So they instructed local police to increase patrols around pretty much every bank in Miami. Smart. That's a lot of manpower, too, because Miami's not a small city. No. Millions, probably millions of people. Oh, yeah, easily. So not only were they increasing patrols around around these banks, 
they were also told to contact all these armored car companies mm-hmm. and set up random check-ins and they would just randomly follow them places just you Smart. know got i you know say uh, one of these officers had just got done pulling somebody over for fucking speeding or something or yeah. not use, not using a signal and he pulls away and there's an armored car he's like okay i'm going to follow this and see what happens because again if i follow this and these guys show up and i stop them that's a win for us but that's an even bigger win for me I'll be a fucking captain by the end of the day if I can stop these dickheads. <laughs> well, I I don't think it's so much that. I think it's just because, you know, hey, by having random, because by having the random, you know, having the officers randomly follow different ones doesn't allow for the perps, I would say, just speculation, doesn't allow for the perps to actually... Uh, gleam anything from it. they like, oh, okay, well, they're going to follow, you know, these, only these ones, or they're, you know, just so they can, you know, not get a pattern to it. Right. And then... So, it's, so it makes it easier, you know, harder for them to, to know, okay, well, hey, they're going to be following this one or follow this one because they know, you know, like, they knew, okay, A, you know, that the... uh Wells Fargo truck was going to, you know, arrive at this right. point. Uh, it was going to off have this much possibly, you know, and not only that, it. but it's also smart on the police's part because if you follow every single armored car, and these guys start noticing that, yeah. they're going to realize, fuck, they're onto us, yes. and then they're going to move off somewhere else. Yeah. If you're just driving down the road and you're getting ready to go rob an armored car and there's a cop behind this one, it's fucking traffic. You see another one, there's nobody with it. You know, it's it's traffic flow. You know, yeah. he just so happened to pull onto the same road as him. Yeah. He's not going fucking lights blazing and shit, you know. Or he hasn't followed him forever. Right. He just pulled know? out. He probably pulled out from a fucking gas station behind him or some shit, yeah. you know. Because so, that's the first one they've seen. Oh, they've seen others, you know, but... Well, oh, it just so happens that this was this cop's behind this guy. Exactly. Totally fucking random. With all this information collected, the FBI would then place agents of what they called the reactive squad around banks in southwest Miami in hopes of catching any kind of hint of these guys. Yep. Um, so they would react, oh. you know, to any little tip probably, right? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, they, they were basically kind of – you'd have like uh, – so you have bank A – you know, at the corner of first and second street, yeah. you'd have a couple of agents, you know, across the road or whatever, just hanging out in a coffee shop or at a restaurant or whatever. So they're there so that if something happens here, they're fucking right there. Yeah. Like they can get these dickheads before they get to the door. Makes sense. You know, it's, it's a very, very smart move. Um, especially considering this squad consisted of about 14 agents. It, it kind of varied. It, could, it said between 14 to 16. So it could have been, you know, 16 guys total, but, and, and this, this squad of 14 agents was under the supervision of uh, supervisory special agent, or I just put it in parentheses because I'm going to use it again, SSA, uh, Gordon McNeil. So he would have been the most senior agent there. Uh-huh. Previous to the shootout, all 14 agents in this uh, special task force kind of had been briefed on the robberies 
and basically been given any information that they could possibly use to stop these guys. Um, the FBI also said, we don't want the local police getting involved with anything other than doing surveillance and patrols and stuff like that. Uh-huh. We don't want you guys, you know, boots on the ground. We don't need that going on. So, which, which makes sense. Yeah. You know, you don't want to spook, uh, you don't want to spook your, you know, your, uh, your, your perps, you yeah, know, you, because... you don't, you don't, you don't want to scare your bad guys off before you can catch but them. But you also don't want to tip your hand, you know, right. too, too soon. So basically, Agent McNeil said, "There's four banks that are our most likely targets. So we uh-huh. want you guys cruising past there every couple minutes. Basically, like if you have to send fucking two cars down the same street at the same time and just space them out." So that somebody is always going by that bank, pretty much. That's what we want because these are the four areas that we think are hot spots. The yeah, the more the most likely target. Yeah. So these banks were all all separated by an area of about fifty to uh, fifty five to sixty blocks, which is like seven and a half mile, like a like a seven and a half mile radius. So I mean, it's it's a big area still. Yeah, it is, that's, especially that's when you're still... looking for two fucking guys in a city with that many people in it. Yeah, but also having to cover that ground too. I mean, that's, right? That's still a lot of ground to cover. You know, I mean, but I mean, if you think about it, if you're in a cop car and you go lights and sirens, you can cover seven and a half miles in no time flat if people get out of your way. Yes, depending on traffic right. too. You know, so yeah. if, if traffic's not super heavy, you can be there in a matter of minutes. Yep. All right. So. We're going to get to our faithful day here. Um, Before we do that, we're going to take a quick break because shit's about to get real. Friday, April 11th, 1986, at around 8.45 a.m., the 14 agents gathered in a Home Depot parking lot. They had a hunch that the robbery was most likely going to be happening today because these guys had a tendency to hit on Wednesdays and Fridays. Okay. This so happened to be a Friday. Also, if you think about it, Friday should be your main target day anyway, because that's when banks are going to have a higher volume of money for payday. True. Because a lot of True. people back then, they didn't want to put their money in the bank. They didn't have direct deposit. They wanted to cash their fucking checks. Well, or they had to go to the bank to cash the right, check. Right, exactly. Which, I mean, either A, they got money out, or they just had, Or they know, just put it in their account. But either yeah. way, there's still a lot more money there on a Friday. Yeah. Because some people want to have that money for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Especially in fucking Miami. Yeah. Go on party, motherfucker. Yeah. Miami in the 80s? Are you fucking kidding? If this hadn't been a year before I was I was born, I probably would have been dead. <laughs> so. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, obviously, like I said, they thought today's the day that something's going to happen. So, they start doing rolling stakeouts. So, basically... You know, you'd split up into teams. You kind of just fucking yep. go sit somewhere for a little bit. Wait, if nothing on. happens. Exactly, exactly. So they knew kind of what these guys looked like. They knew that they were more than likely in either a black Monte Carlo or a white Ford pickup. Because those are the two vehicles that have been linked to both, to, to more than one scene, I should say. They didn't have any idea who these guys were. 
Like, again, they just had, like, a description. Yeah. Yes. Of the 14 agents that were assigned to this task force, eight of them would be involved in the shooting. So we're going to kind of just focus directly on these eight men. Makes sense. Makes sense. So I kind of wanted to go over how people were situated before everything goes to hell, if we could. So we have Supervisory Special Agent Gordon McNeil in a vehicle by himself. Okay. Special Agent Richard Manazuni was in a vehicle by himself as well. Special Agents Ben Grogan and Jerry Dove were in a car together. Special Agent ooh, Special Agents John Hanlon and Edmundo Morales Jr. were in a vehicle to, together. Say that ten times fast. And by the way, he is not a second baseman for the Rangers. I checked. Now batting, the Miami Marlins. Yep. Right fielder, Edmundo Morales Jr. And he hits like a fucking single. <laughs> <laughs> no, he fucking hits a walk-off. Over. Yeah. <laughs> fucking hit the nail on the head right there, buddy. This motherfucker hit a grand slam that touched down in Cuba. <laughs> wow. The final vehicle would be special agents Gilbert Orantia. I'm so sorry. I'm going to mess your name up. Orantia and Ron Reisner. They were in a vehicle together. As the five vehicles of agents are canvassing the area, at about 9.30 a.m., Grogan and Dove spot the black Monte Carlo and start tailing it. Yeah. Okay. As they're tailing this vehicle, they realize that they've been made. And they've got to do something. So they attempt to stop the vehicle. So what they do basically is they come up and they try to pit it. Where, So you'd put your driver's side whatever fender into their... I'm sorry, your, your, uh, your front fender on either side into their rear fender on the opposite side to try to spin them out. Yeah. So you can do whatever to, to slow them down. Unfortunately, in all of the fucking chaos that happened, two other cars showed up um, oh. and, and joined the pursuit at the intersection of Southwest 82nd Street and Southwest 122nd Street. The agents then continue to pursue Platt and Maddox in the Monte Carlo, and they ram in the car again, causing the Monte Carlo to veer off into a parking lot and hit a tree. Unfortunately, when Dove and Grogan hit him, um, Hanlon and Morales also kind of hit Dove and Grogan's car and shot off into a parking lot, um, kind of like kitty corner from where everything was going on yeah. to the southwest. So they're across the street diagonally from where our bad guys are now parked in a tree. Okay. Yeah. Um, so when they hit this tree... They barely avoided missing two uh, resident or whatever vehicles in the parking lot. One being a fucking uh, Oldsmobile Cutlass, which fucking meant. <laughs> and the other is a Trans Am. Wow. I mean, and in all fairness, if anybody deserved to be driving that Trans, that trans Am, it the was. Trams. Uh, yeah. If anybody deserved to be driving that Trans Am, it was, it was Bill Maddox because he had a fucking badass mustache. He had a hell of a stash on him. Anyway. I mean, the, the Cutlass and the... Those are, I mean, at a time... Dude, 
fucking Cutlass, Cutlass back then was a smoke show car. Yeah, but it was also like, I mean, it was up there for. It wasn't price. cheap. No. No. I neither was a Trans Am. No. Couldn't imagine. Okay, so the, the way these vehicles end up is if you're looking at it from the top down, you'd have the Trans Am all the way over to the far right, the Cutlass next to that to the left, Maddox and Platt just next to that to the left, and Manazuni is directly right next, next to, to it, passenger door to driver's door with Platt and Maddox. Yeah. Which kind of leads me to believe that he's the one that clipped him and then just fucking followed him right in. Then you would have had uh, Grogan and Dove who came in behind him and kind of quartered up onto the sidewalk to keep them from being able to escape in a vehicle, obviously, and give themselves a little bit of cover. Uh. And again, at this point in time, the card that Morales and Hanlon are in are on the southwest uh, side of the road on the opposite, like in an opposite parking lot. So, Well, you also have C.N. McNeil as well. Right, he he didn't show up until after. Th- oh. This 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 picture that I, I sent you is basically um, how everybody was situated as of the time. Basically, bullets start flying. Okay, yeah, but you said as McNeil, um, kind of like kitty corner. So basically, so that yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, I'm gonna go right over that here. Yeah, because it almost looks like you know it's a good move because so Manzini can. Get, if he got out quick enough, he can uh, get over to McNeil, or McNeil can get over there. Well, if, if you're if you're looking at this, Mandazuni had the the best idea here because in a perfect world, he could have been out of his car and taken cover behind the engine compartment, which is yeah the most quote unquote bulletproof part of your car, and still had fucking shots on these guys over the hood, or even if he had to, just shooting right through his windshield if he had to. Yep. So. Before shit starts going south here, Platt and Maddox hit this tree again. Manazuni is passenger door to driver's door with the vehicle they're in. So, basically, by the time the next vehicle that showed up, which would have been kind of a tie between McNeil and Grogan and Dove, because they kind of just showed uh-huh. up at the same time. Because, I mean, these, these guys are all in radio contact with each yeah. other, obviously. Obviously. So by the time these three vehicles are there, these guys have nowhere to go. This should have ended right there with fucking hands out the window and just, okay, cool. Yeah, we robbed a bunch of fucking banks and shot a dude. Sorry. Yeah, but no. No. This ain't know how this is going down. Yeah. So if these guys wanted to go anywhere, they had to fight their way out. Shoot out at the OK Corral. Which is exactly what they are about to do. It gets a little hard to follow here because during the crash, uh, Special Agent Manazuni's sidearm, which he had unholstered and set on the bench seat next to him so that it was ready to go. During the crash, it slid off yeah. the seat and down into the floorboard. Great. So I don't I don't know if his car, like, <laughs> from some of the shit that I listened to, some people said they don't know if his car was even stopped before he was already leaning down trying to get his fucking his revolver. So as he leans down, he comes back up and looks to his right and makes eye contact with Michael Platt, who's driving the car. Uh-huh. As he's looking at Platt, he looks a little bit further past him and sees Maddox with a fucking 12-gauge shotgun right out in front of his face. Oof. 
and he ducks just as he fires. He was shot with birdshot in the back and in the back of the head. Ow. Gets out of his vehicle and takes cover behind a little wall on 82nd Street. Obviously, he just got shot in the fucking head. All fucking semblance of, like, I got to get my gun and kill these assholes out the window. Of course. Fight or flight, it's like, I understand there's training, yada, 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 whatever. I don't give a fuck. He just got shot, like, damn near point blank with a shotgun. Yeah, no, that that <laughs> that, uh, that training kind of... And the reason that I made such a point about this is because there's a lot of people that make fucking YouTube videos that are like, oh, this guy's a pussy. He should have just grabbed his gun. Let me shoot at you from less than six feet away with a 12-gauge and see if you still have your fucking bearings enough to reach down and find your fucking weapon. No. Not a fucking chance. I mean, he probably doesn't think about it until he gets to cover and goes, oh, fuck, I should have I don't my have weapon. my fucking, I don't have my, my sidearm. Yeah, I, should, I don't have my sidearm. I should have had that. I should have that. Crap, what do I do? Right. You know, but at the same time, he's also thinking, phew, I, I you know, I avoided one there because, yeah, it, he may not have actually got BBs into his head or whatever. It may have skinned off his head. You know, who, who knows? I mean, because he's probably because it's going through two sets of glass, you know, right? Which the velocity at that point, it, it's it, cut down. But still, yeah. you're not dealing with just pellets at that. You're also dealing with fucking glass, glass fragments. Yeah. So how much of that <laughs> is actually, you know, not only just is pellets, but how much yeah, of that is actually I mean, his he, own glass? He it, Even if none of the pellets had hit him, he still could have died. He could have very easily been killed right here. So as he's getting into cover, McNeil is coming in from the north. Yep. And he whips in and puts his driver's side fender, front fender, into Manazuni's driver's side rear fender. So he's got a full car between him and Platt and Maddox at this point. So, so he's got he's got uh, Manazuni's engine block and his back of his vehicle. So that's a, and plus there's a, a distance. You know, as the picture it showed, it, the distance between them. Right. So shots go. He's got through. he's got a car width and maybe six feet. Yeah. So he's got a little bit of room to maneuver, and when he opens his door, that would also kind of give him a little bit like him opening his door. From the looks of this picture, would have probably covered the window of Manazuni's driver's side window. Yeah. So it doesn't give him cover; it gives him concealment. Yep. Which. Sorry. I just like, I was like, okay, did he have to roll for concealment or does it just happen because he's there? Sorry. My tabletop gaming happened. Um, so anyway, it's actually, a, it's, there's no roll for concealment. because no. It's already there. No. <laughs> Should have rolled for luck though. Well, so McNeil gets out of his car and gets to the driver's side of Manazuni's vehicle, kind of up into the front front like behind the engine compartment kind of area and starts fucking firing on these guys with his uh his 38 uh-huh uh so in the interchange mcneil is shot in the neck and in the hand ouch when he hit the ground he was paralyzed oh wow so it was a pretty nasty wound to the neck yeah um the hand wound fuck it who cares it's a hand wound you can whatever yeah um he didn't quite realize that he was paralyzed yet because he was 
he still wanted to fight. Yeah. But unfortunately, definitely. he did not have what people call a speed loader for his revolver. So basically, he dumped these he dumped these shells and, and then had to reach into his pocket and, and try to load them one, one at a time with a fucking gunshot hand. Yeah, because speed loader has them all on one. Yeah, he's just talking. You, you literally just, put it in the cylinder, turn this little thing, pull it out, and fucking snap it shut. Yeah. Speed loaders are, if you're gonna carry a fucking revolver, get a speed loader or two because I can tell you, it's so much faster. Just to put this into perspective, of the eight agents in this firefight. Two had what would be considered an automatic pistol, like an automatic reloading pistol instead of a revolver. So like we said, he couldn't reload his... And hence the reason why they don't use revolvers exactly. anymore. So like, like, we said, like we just said, he couldn't reload his revolver. But two of the four, I believe, shots that he fired hit William Maddox. One grazed him in the neck, and the other one grazed him in the left side of his head and actually knocked him out. Oh, so <laughs> fucking yeah, close, but no cigar, you know? So at this point in time, well, it's better than nothing, though. It is. I mean, now you're only fighting one fucking dude. Yeah, because it this motherfucker's your, out. Cut your battle in half. Yeah. Just got swatted by the hand of God. and He's unconscious. So at this point in time, Hanlon and Morales are starting to come across the street. They're kind of moving up behind Grogan and Dove's car, just trying to keep a vehicle between them and yeah, our bad guys. Of course, it's what you know you'd want to do. You want to keep cover, concealment, right? So as they're coming around Dove's car and headed up towards McNeil's car, Morales is shot in the left forearm. This shot actually broke both bones in his forearm. Okay, keep that in mind. He hits the ground behind uh, on the passenger side of McNeil's car. And again, during the crash, Agent Hanlon lost his service revolver also. Again, had it on the seat between him and Morales. <sighs> and when the two cars hit, it went onto the floor. God damn it, guys. Gun discipline. But. Weapon discipline. But. Agent Hanlon had a throwdown piece on him. And oh. a snub-nosed, five-shot, thirty-eight revolver that he kept in an ankle holster. I was going to say ankle holster yes. time. He, so he reached down and was like, yeah, bitches. So he reaches into his fucking, into his pant leg and pulls it up and fires two, uh, fires three shots. Bang, bang, bang. At Platinmatix. Yep. So at this point in time, he did what they, uh, what the fuck's so the term for it? probably a little snub-nosed 380 or something like that? The 38. 38? Yep. Okay. So I, I believe the term is an administrative reload, where when you have you still have rounds left, but you're going to reload just to be safe. Yeah. So what happens here is while he's trying to reload this, he has the the three empty casings, goes to put him he puts them in his pocket, the same pocket that his live ammunition is in. So he he puts it in. I mean, I can understand that. I can get this. The all the shit that's going on. Your brain is not functioning You're like it's just fucking muscle memory at this point. Um, so he's he's not necessarily like he's not fumble fucking around here. He's not yeah, Barney he, Fife. He forgets I mean. to drop them though because yes. he should have he should have dropped them, but he just fucking went in and it's you know it's because it was he was a uh, he was from what I'd write he was a very very good um, competitive shooter, and when they were doing all of their um, like their pistol qualification and stuff like that, yeah. He was the uh, range boss. Okay. So he was one of these guys where, like, police your brass or I'm going to kick you in the teeth. 
So but, he was doing exactly what he would have been doing but at on this the range. Point, this isn't the fucking range. Right. But who gives a shit about policing your brass? Muscle memory. You're used to just putting them in your pocket. I know. So yep. he puts these three in his pocket, goes to load again, and at this point in time, as he's reloading, he takes a shot from the uh, the Mini 14. And it goes down. Orentina and Risner are northwest of this whole situation. They're up in the opposite corner on like on, on the road up there. They stop and they start fucking firing at Platt and Maddox as well. When they return fire, Orentina was hit by a metal fragment from the uh, from the Mini 14 that actually came in through either the angle I guess is weird cuz it either came in through the front fender well or the front driver's side door. Okay. Yeah. But when it came in it smashed out the um, your uh, instrument panel with all your fucking like your tachometer yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. And when that happened, he took a piece of shrapnel in the face, like a, like a piece of metal from the dash came up and hit him in the face. Or it was a piece of plastic or something. No, it, it was metal. They pulled it out of his face. So he he took he took a, a piece of metal in the face here. Um, didn't stop him. He kept fucking fighting. That's admirable. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so Grogan and Dove, who are kind of back left kitty corner from Platt and Maddox's vehicle, had taken cover on the driver's side of their car because at this point in time, Platt had actually crawled over Maddox's unconscious body and out the passenger side door of the car and took cover between the Cutlass and the Trans Amp. Okay. So they so they see him over there. So he's so he's he's distanced himself. Yeah, he's he's getting away. He's trying to get a little bit. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind these guys were both, you know, highly trained in the military. So yeah. they're they know what they're doing here. They've been trained and stuff. So yeah. So as Platt moves from the passenger side of the Cutlass, Dove fired a sear like. Two to three rounds out of his nine millimeter. It's a Smith and Wesson. I can't remember what the fuck model it was, um, but it was a nine millimeter. He fired like two or three rounds at him. One hit him, and uh, it kind of it came in almost. I, I kind of because like ugh, so hard to explain. So Platt was kind of quartered away from him, and the shot came in on his right side of his chest and went between his ribs and behind his sternum. And stopped a quarter inch from hitting him in the heart. Oh. He kept fucking fighting. So as Platt is standing there like in shock, like, holy fuck, I just got shot in the chest and I'm not dead. He takes another shot in the right arm. And this breaks both bones in his arm, in his lower arm. Ouch. According to the angle, they think it was Agent Risner that hit him. Uh-huh. But looking at this picture... That was a fucking shot to have hit him from where they were across the street and up a little bit. He, uh, how the fuck he hit him. Shit happens. Uh, you know, you're, you're just shoot. You're shooting divine intervention. Well, it, it could have ricocheted. It could, you know, whatever. I mean, still, you know, things do travel both velocity right. still. But I know. mean, one way or the other, this breaks both bones in his forearm. Um, it then kind of continued through his, like up through his right arm and into his armpit and stopped when it hit his shoulder blade. Ow. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, and according to what the coroner said, if this was the only gunshot that Platt had taken, he would have survived. No big deal. Because it didn't hit anything important. Yeah. It broke his, it broke his forearm. It kind of came in through here. It missed the his uh, uh, subclavian artery, which is the one that runs under your, uh, your uh, collarbone, and then down your arm. So it missed that artery completely. And just popped into a shoulder blade. So it would have hurt like a motherfucker, but it wouldn't have killed him. But that chest wound. Yeah, that chest wound is like, that chest wound's a motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. He now has to switch how he's fighting. Because keep in mind, he's got a mini 14, which is not necessarily the easiest rifle in the world to operate one-handed. It's kind of long. It's wood, so it's not light. I mean, well, I mean, it's not that. It's not huh. super heavy, but you got a broken fucking. You're, you're, you're. He's right-handed, so your good arm is fucking out of the fight. You're there, off-handed, one-handed firing this thing. Well, you'd have to use your right hand. Yeah, now you have to switch to left hand. Yeah, and that's what so I'm saying. You have to use, try to use your, possibly try to use your right hand, right arm, to you know to hold up the weapon. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. I thought I automatically went to. Larry Phillips with his broken fucking arm in North Hollywood, where he is fucking his arm was just limp and he just pulled it up and he was basically shooting across his elbow. Yeah. Just as a little bit of support. Yeah. But how accurate is that? Uh, depends. I mean, they, they, these guys are shooters. They know um, they, they've been trained. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> and like, like I said, so after after he is shot at least twice. Yeah. Once in the arm, once that would have most definitely been a fatal wound. He moves from the cutlass to the passenger side of Dove and Grogan's car. Uh-huh. I don't want, like, I really don't want to give this motherfucker any credit, but what he's about to do here was, considering the amount of pain that he's in and how fucked up he is, I don't want to say it's impressive, but it's kind of impressive. Okay. Because at this point in time, he's still moving very, very aggressively. He's staying in this fucking fight. His buddy is still in La La Land in the passenger seat of of their Monte Carlo. Yeah. So he is at the passenger side of Dove and Grogan's car. One of his rounds he had fired at them had actually hit Dove's pistol and caused it to... To malfunction. Yeah. So Dove and Grogan are behind the car. Dove is trying to get his his pistol back in the fight. Grogan's trying to keep an eye watching the front of the vehicle. Doesn't realize that this asshole has moved to the other side of their car. So at this point in time, he rounds the back of the vehicle across the trunk, fires one round into Agent Grogan, hits him in the chest, kills him instantly. He turns and sees Agent Hanlon, who's down, not far from there, turns, fires, shoots him in the groin. And in the meantime, Ooh. all this shit going on, Dove is still just fucking fighting his pistol, trying to get it going, trying to get it going. Uh, and this piece of shit whips back around, pop, pop, two shots in the head, kills Agent Dove instantly. Wow. He did that all one-handed. And I mean, you went from a target here 
On your right, pop. Over here to your left, pop. Then back to your right, pop, pop. That'd be tricky enough to do with two hands. I mean, a mini-14 really isn't all that big a weapon. No, but it's not a super fucking... They're not... I'm not going to say they're unwieldy, but it's not an easy thing to maneuver around with one fucking hand, especially it's when you're trying to fucking shoot it accurately. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm looking at your uh, AR-15, and I'm going to tell you right now that the Mini-14 is probably... might be a little smaller than yours... Because my dad has one. Right. But what I'm saying is, that's all composite and plastic and steel. Mini 14's got a lot of one, a, a lot of wood on it. It's it's not necessarily super light. But it's, just how uh, he how he maneuvered with this thing and still managed to kill these two guys and not get shot himself. Adrenaline will do a yeah. fucking number with you. So it it, it it puts the endorphins of an overload, and you, you know you become superhuman almost. Right. So at this point in time, seven of the eight agents involved are either wounded or dead. Uh huh. And can't that's like <laughs> we got one dude left that can fucking fight basically. Well, you also have across the road. You have uh, Dove is still well. Dove's dead. Now. Dove is so, dead. Grogan's dead. So pretty much McNeil is pretty fucking close to dead. Yeah, so, I mean, you have, well, the whole parking lot area, they're, they're, but then you have the two, but then you have, um, uh, the other two guys up above. Orantia and Risner? Yeah. They, they were both, they were both injured, but they kept fighting. They kept shooting. Because when that, when that round came through, it hit both of them with shrapnel. Well, yeah, so, so, right now, so Manzini, he's out. McNeil's out. Yes. Grogan and Dover out. Grogan, Grogan and Dover out. But then you still have uh, Hanlon and Morales. Hanlon's down, shot twice. Okay. Morales is shot in the left arm with a broken arm. Yeah, he can still fight. He's so, got a pistol. He switched hands. With Grogan and Dove both shot and killed, Platt decides to get into their vehicle and try to make a run for it. Okay. Smart, I guess. Sort of. So... As he's getting into the vehicle, Maddox fucking gets out of the the cutlass and runs down. He like, I'm assuming he's super fucking groggy because he just got knocked out with a bullet. But as he's looking around, he sees that Platt has gotten into this car. So he hauls ass down to get in with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> to make shit worse, when these guys are going to back out. If shit had had worked differently, I guarantee you when these guys backed out and left, they would have ran over Hanlon and killed him. So, Risner continues to fire from his cover. Morales is shot and wounded badly in his left arm, like uh-huh. we've said before. He's been out of the fight since pretty much the beginning of everything. But that didn't really matter because... Edmundo Morales has got the biggest fucking balls on the planet, and he didn't give a shit about nothing. He works the action on his 12-gauge shotgun, one-handed. According to witnesses and other agents that survived, this fucking cowboy from Texas and a former Marine fired five shotgun rounds, five shotgun shells, one-handed, 
So you fire, get back into cover, put it against his hip, work the pump, bring it back up, fire, work the pump again against it. Yeah. He's doing okay. this with one hand. Okay. Okay. Cool, but he's also probably using uh, the cover of the of the of the vehicle. vehicle. Yes. So he's using the vehicle. Yes. To his advantage. Okay. Yes. So that's 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 doable still. So these five rounds would go through the windshield, driver's side window, and driver's side front fender of the vehicle they're trying to steal. When the shotgun runs dry, he stands up and draws his three fifty seven Magnum and starts walking towards the car. As he approaches the car, Platt fires his last three rounds out of his three fifty seven. Maddox is still fucking out of it. Platt takes Maddox's 357, fires three more rounds. Bang, bang, bang. Nothing. Yeah. Morales fired his 357 six times. I want to go over where these rounds hit. <laughs> Round one hit the driver's seat about two inches above Platt's left shoulder. Round two hit the driver's side windshield and caused the glass to shatter and shards hit Platt in the head. It didn't cause any severe damage, obviously. Round three hits the windshield and fragments in front of Maddox and and showers him with glass. Uh Uh-huh. Round four went through pretty much the same hole as round three, except this one hit Bill Maddox right in the right eye socket. Oh, he dead. The bullet traveled downward through the facial bones into his cheek, entered into his spinal column, and severed his spinal cord. He was dead instantly. Fucking light switch went off. Well, I mean, he got shot in the eye and went right to his freaking brain. He's yeah, dead. It, it, it didn't go up into his brain. It went straight through and hit his fucking... Basically hit his brain stem and just well, yeah, hit the off straight switch. Straight through. I mean, that's, that's you're dead. You're, good night, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, good night, sweet prince. He really didn't like Bill Maddox because round five hit him in the face again. Mm-hmm. This bullet went through his jawbone and came to rest in his spinal column again, just to make sure he was extra fucking dead. And round six is the real cowboy shit because Platt has no more ammunition for his mini 14, which he wouldn't be able to reload anyway. He's trying to reload his 357. Well, I mean, unless he has a um, magazine for it. With a broken hand, it's not easy to do that while you're trying to drive. But well, any- no. Anyway, he's trying to reload his 357. Mor- <laughs> Morales walks straight up to the driver's side of the side of the car, reached in through the windshield, and plugged Michael Platt right in the fucking heart. With his last shot, he reached through the window and just went, Bam! And just fucking shot him directly in the chest. He dead. This dude is a fucking hero. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's badass. So, all in all... <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> wow. So, all in all, this gunfight would last a little less than five, five minutes. Two agents and two scumbags would lose their lives. In the process. All of the severe injuries and deaths of agents were caused by Michael Platt and his MIDI-14. Maddox is pretty much a non-factor. He fired a total of one round. Yeah. That was that shotgun shell that injured uh, Manazuni. Mm -hmm. 
Of the eight agents involved, only one, Agent Risner, was not injured. And only one of these agents, which would have been Agent Manazuni, didn't fire around. And again, this wasn't out of cowardice. This wasn't because this was because he had lost his service revolver in the collision. And to be fair, he was right in the in the middle of the fucking crossfire. Yeah. Because I mean, pretty much as soon as he got out of his car, McNeil was there. Yeah. And they're shooting at him. He's got to get the fuck out of the way. I don't blame this guy no. at all. I no. don't have any feeling of him being a coward at no. all. Because I'm telling you right now, if he had if he had gotten somewhere where somebody had, say somebody else had a, a three a, a five shot revolver on their ankle, he would have been like, "Give me that fucking yeah, give me that." Oh yeah, definitely. I want to get in this fight. Yeah. So between both sides, around 150 rounds were fired, and this is in a parking lot, like a very very enclosed little parking lot. It wasn't a, a big. You know. Yeah, the, the gunfight wasn't very. I no, mean, it was it was it was close range, yes. close quarters, CQB. Yes. Um, when the toxic, when the toxic, motherfucker, toxicology, when the toxicology reports on Platt and Maddox's bodies came back, a lot of people were surprised. They would have. They figured with PCP the um, or, or exactly with the amount of damage that these fucking guys took, they must have been all fucked up on something. Yeah. Both of them came back clean with nothing in their systems, not even like anything, even like a fucking aspirin, nothing. Well, like I said, you know, the endorphins and all that stuff kicking in can act like a high and, you know, make you forget a little bit about that. And obviously our fucking super badass, you know, his shit kicked in and, you know, so he cowboyed up. Platt's autopsy actually would reveal that his right lung had been collapsed from the nine millimeter round the agent Dove had fired at him. Yeah. And when they opened him up, there was somewhere in the neighborhood of a liter and a half of blood in his chest cavity. Had Morales not shot and killed him, agent Dove's bullet would have eventually killed him. And that makes me a little happy knowing that he didn't, that it it makes me happy to know that he didn't die for no reason. Yeah, because if he had got away, he still would have died. He would have fucking bled to death internally. Yeah. Like, very, very quickly. Like, if this fight had gone on another couple minutes, he would have fucking passed out and died. Yeah. Uh, give it another, like, a minute, minute and a half, two minutes, whatever. He would have been dead. And I almost think that that uh, if it, um, that uh, if Platt had died... um, Oh, if, if Platt... Okay. If this whole thing had gone down... Where these two fuckers got slammed into the car, and instead of Maddox firing, if Platt had fired and somebody shot him, Maddox would have fucking surrendered instantly. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think even if even if even if the point they got to the uh, you know where Maddox was knocked out, right? You know, and everything. I still think you know, and and, and Platt had been shot and killed or whatever or died. I think the Maddox would have, you know, come to whatever, and he would have surrendered. Oh, or absolutely. Even being in the vehicle, if they had killed Maddox, if they had gone, you know, shooting had gone a little longer, and Platt died, Maddox wouldn't. I mean, or Maddox would have still surrendered, probably. Oh yeah, he he was very much the uh, the follower in this situation. 
Um, I, seems... I know we, we keep making comparisons to North Hollywood. He would have been the Emil Matasarano in the situation where he's like, yeah, I, I want to go rob banks. This is going to be fun. And then when shit gets real, he's like, this isn't fun anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go home. Where Platt and fucking Larry Phillips cut from the same cloth. Where they're just like, let's fucking kill dudes. Let's see what we can do. Could you imagine? But the difference between Mata Serrano and Maddox is the fact that Mata Serrano actually fucking, you know, he w- kept going. He f- fucking kept fighting. And, right. You know, he went down in a blaze of glory. Right. But I still don't think he wanted to play anymore after shit got real. Because Mata Serrano, I think, was more survival instinct. Like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I got to go home. I got to get out of here. So I'm going to fire. I'm going to try to scare these dudes off so I can get out. It's one of those situations of kind of hard telling, not knowing. Now, okay, this is another thought that I had during this whole thing. Could you imagine if these two had never met and fucking Platt had stayed in California and about 10 years later, 11 years later, if him and Larry Phillips had hooked up somewhere, there would have been a lot of dead fucking cops in North Hollywood. Because those guys would have, if those two had teamed up and robbed that bank, that would have been a real bad day for the LAPD. Probably because they were like, Platt was the definite aggressor in the situation. He wasn't firing trying to get dudes away. He was firing trying to kill these guys. Yeah. So, and I think it w- could have been a different story too, though. I mean, there would have been a lot more people dead if it had been, you know, if it had been Platt, you know. In 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 for Mata Serrano because that's what I'm saying because he would have had the military training and such. Yep, which you know would which have, he would have passed on to his buddy. Yeah, and that would have made them both more dangerous. Yeah, I mean if 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 both Platt and Maddox actually you know were on the same mindset. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, see, I think I think Maddox was all in for the bank robberies. I don't think he wanted a shootout. Like, if Maddox had been driving and this crash had happened, I think he'd been like, fuck. Hands out the window. I quit. Uh, it's one of those, yeah, we can speculate all we yeah. want, but we don't really know. So, in the investigation afterward, most of the blame for why this shootout ended the way it did was laid directly on the lack of stopping power that the agents had for firearms. Yep. There were a couple of agents nearby that were part of this task force, but they were on the other side of town pretty much that were equipped with M16s and MP5s. If these dudes had showed up at the party, this shit would have ended right fucking quick. Yeah. Um, Like I said, they were fucking on the other side of town looking at watching a different bank. And then by the time all the the radio chatter comes across, they might as well have been on the moon. Too late because you can't get there in five minutes. Also... Only or less, less than five minutes. Yeah. And only, another thing that was a big issue here was only two of the agents were well, were wearing body armor. And uh, at, at that point, it was still only a light armor, which was rated for like handgun rounds. Yeah. Two, two, three round fucking snap right through that like nobody's business. No big deal. It's it's going to go through. So to recap one ha- what happened one more time. Agent Richard Manazuni survived a shotgun blast to the back to the back and back of the head. Gordon McNeil, who was the senior supervisory agent, survived but was paralyzed after being shot in the hand and in the neck. Obviously, the neck shot paralyzed him, not the hand shot. That'd be a little weird. Gilbert uh, Orantia, 
survived it was injured by a piece of shrapnel from the inside of his own car. John Hanlon survived being shot in the right hand and in the groin. Fuck. I, that's that's one of the ones I still can't under that's that's a lucky survival. Somebody who's looking out for him. <laughs> Plain and simple. That's a lucky survival because that most likely would kill you. It, I mean, because there's that's a lot of blood loss. Yeah, I mean it depends on what it hits though. True. If it hits your if it just hits it like if it's in your groin area but it hits in your leg and misses your, your main arteries and yeah, all that stuff in there. It's true. I mean, again, somebody didn't want him to die that day. Ronald Risner was the only agent that survived uninjured. Edmundo Morales survived and was wounded in the the left arm. Had he been killed, I don't know how this whole thing would have turned out. I think. Well, I think Platt would have would have died already. Well, on his way out, he would have run over Hanlon and killed him. Then he probably would have died shortly thereafter. So we would have had another dead agent there. Agent Benjamin Grogan was shot in the chest and killed instantly. Agent Dar- uh, Agent Jerry Dove was shot twice in the head and killed instantly in the same place. William Maddox died after being shot six times, including three headshots. Yeah. Michael Platt died after some after sustaining an ungodly twelve gunshot wounds. And again, he was on nothing. Huh. Now, was this Mini-14? Is, is it the seven? It must have been the 7.62. No, it's 2.23. The Mini-30 is the 7.62. Oh, wait. My dad has the Mini-30, yes. not the Mini-14. Sorry. Same same firearm, different caliber. Yes. Um, I mean, I know the Mini-30 is not, you know, it's not that big. and Yeah. It's pretty small. For his part in the gunfight, Agent Edmundo Morales was awarded the FBI Medal of Valor which is the highest honor awarded to FBI agents for action taken in the line of duty. He was awarded that medal in 2001. Yeah. Why it took that long? Maybe it had something to do with the fact that he was involved two years later with a lawsuit against the FBI for discrimination against Hispanic agents. Maybe. Was he wrong for getting involved in that lawsuit? Probably not. Who knows? Uh, so... In 1996, the village of Pinecrest, Florida, was incorporated. Um, it honored the two fallen agents by co-designating a portion of Southwest 82nd Street as Agent Benjamin Grogan Avenue and Agent Jerry Dove Avenue. Uh, street nice. signs and a historical marker commemorate the naming of the road in Grogan and Dove's honor. It's awesome. That's awesome. Agent Jerry Dove was a West Virginia native from Clarksburg. Uh-huh. And this is where the FBI Criminal Justice Information Service Division is located. Here in degrees from both West Virginia University and Marshall University. Pretty fucking smart dude. And to, uh, in 2014, the FBI Miami field office moved to its new home in Myanmar, Florida, uh, dedicating the two towers of the new office space to the memories of Dove and Grogan in a ceremony in April 2015. The first floor contains a memorial to Dove and Grogan. Every year on April 11th, the FBI makes office. Uh, the FBI office holds a fallen angel ceremony in honor of Dove and Grogan, and all FBI agents who were killed in the line of duty. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah, and so that's how this whole thing ended. Um, wow, <laughs> I told you it, it gets fucking it gets hot right there for that little period of time where trying to you know get everything figured out it's a lot of moving parts yeah uh 
Yeah. For uh, five minutes of uh, a fun. Yeah, five minutes in hell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not fun, but hell. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot of uh, a lot of shit, and yeah. then, and to have the the fortitude to be like, screw you guys. Yeah. You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my damnedest, and I'm gonna take you out, or I'm gonna get taken out. Yep. Attitude. You know. Okay. Could you imagine if that sixth shot had missed? And gave him another second to reload. That could have been bad. Because at that point in time, Morales would have had to reload too. I don't, you know, I don't know. I feel like he would have just fucking reversed the weapon and just beat him to death right there in the car. I, yeah. I don't, <laughs> just I, fucking clubbed him with the butt end of it and just kept or going Or he would have he dragged stopped. him out or something. He would have, I don't know, man. I told you, this is like one of the baddest motherfuckers we've ever talked about on the show. I'm just saying. I think you know his his uh, training probably could have kicked in, but he didn't. You know, I could see the shooting in the heart. You know, shooting at him again, just because you don't know whether he's going to be able to, you know, get that weapon loaded again. No, or not. So those bullets don't come out of your paycheck. You fire until he stops moving. Yeah, you've got to do something. So I mean, you know, but yeah. In and his like, in his mind, you just killed two of my buddies. Yeah, you know. Now it's your turn. You killed part of my team. Now you're I'm going to kill both of you. Yeah. <laughs> so and and uh, and, and Morales is still alive. Uh, he's since retired from the FBI. Um, but yeah. So this was uh, <laughs> this was some shit. Yeah. Because, like, last week we're like, oh, well, they're not that bad of guys. And I'm like, ha ha, hold my beer because they're scumbags. <laughs> anyway. I mean, yeah, you fucking, you took and left two kids, you know, without parents. Yeah, but that was their choice. That no. was their choice. No, no, no. To no, orphan no. their kids. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Is that they, you know, they went and left their, you know each of their kids without a parent because without well, any parents <laughs> yeah i mean both of their wives were dead uh one unquestionable circumstances yeah. and the other one well some asshole fucking which after learning more about it i kind of lean more towards the fact that he probably killed his wife which a uh, plat yeah oh yeah yeah i think he may have because i mean we like like i said we just kind of saw well, I mean, what kind of person he actually is? Well, when 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 you find out that you know a guy got fucking blasted in the back of the head at the shooting range, it was probably Platt that did it. Yeah. So, I mean, makes sense. The second guy they robbed that may have been Maddox, but that could have been like, hey, you need to shoot this dude. Yeah. Or we're done. Do it. Do and, it. Do it. Well, guess. that's probably why you fucking survived because he probably just shot him four times, like. Well, trying to more trying to scare him than hurt him. And, well, you said that you know? you know it was a shotgun, but then there was, you know, other rounds. So I think the shotgun was Maddox. Yes, and the others were yeah. Platt because Platt was like probably like, what the fuck? You didn't do you know you didn't you didn't do it. Yeah, right. you didn't kill him. Yeah, you didn't kill him, and, and neither did he. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so that's our. <laughs> That's our coverage for this one. This is our second bank robbery we've covered. Woo! Um, we might cover another bank spoiler robbery. Spoiler alert, I've got another one started already. <laughs> well, I kind of I, I kind of have a sort of bank robbery uh, started, but uh, 
that's but but mine's a little in the in the past. Yeah, mine's yeah shit like I, I I seem to find some real fucking like gnarly shootouts for some reason. I don't know where I find them either. I'm just like searching around on the internet. I'm like top 25 craziest gunfights. Well, my, mine didn't have a gunfight and you know, mine kind of ended different. <laughs> so, Much different than all of these. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, this is definitely one of those ones where you want to go pick up a pair of headphones. Yes, earbuds, sir. You know, or if you just don't really give a shit, you know, and you want to make everybody listen to it, you're just going to get a... Get that Femdio, get, put it to your neighbor's that, yeah. fucking wall and make them listen. Yeah, definitely. So get, I assume everybody lives in an apartment. I don't know. I'm sure some people have houses. I have yeah. a house. Well, they have neighbors still. That's true. Possibly. I mean, depending on how close their neighbors are. Unfortunately, neighbors... Studio does not make a large enough speaker for me to irritate my neighbors. <laughs> well, your neighbors are close enough, so they could hear it. Dude, I would just load up a bunch of people yelling fuck and just whip this thing through their window like a grenade. You want to know why I could do that? Because it's got a fucking 30 meter range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so go over, send it. go over to Studio and uh, get your head bo- headphones, earbuds, or, or speaker and yeah. uh, put them in your basket. Put the promo code of discount, uh, promo code of Dark Windows 15 in to get 15% off your entire purchase. Yep. Darkwindowspod.com is our website. Mm-hmm. That is a website. Which has all has of our- all of our stuff there. You can find links to our Patreon. You can find links to our Threadless store. You can find links to where you can listen to us. You can find links to our social media stuff for the show. Yeah. You can find it all. The, oh, hey, you can even find a link to fucking Studio on there too. Exactly. And if Boom. you want a one stop shop, and if you want to email us, you can email you can email us, us right there. It yeah. links right to our fucking Gmail. Yeah. But if Boom. not, darkwindowspod at gmail dot com. Uh-huh. Email us. Yes. Because we are coming up on episode 100, and we want to do something fucking and keep up cool. on those uh, on the on the posts and everything on the yeah. on the page. And we're, I'm loving it. I'm loving having you know more interaction. I want yeah. to have that. Let's let's get it popping, people. And you know, know what? Because I haven't said it in a long time. Rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs> I feel like I haven't said that in like 50 episodes. You want to know, know why? Because I haven't. Yeah, we haven't. Yeah, but yeah, do whatever you listen down. Rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah, all that good stuff. And, uh, yeah. So, until next week, uh, I'm not real sure what we're doing next week. It's going to be a surprise, I think. Surprise! But until then, just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't mean that the dark can't see into you. Mm. Bye-bye. Goodbye.